This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. Let's kick off today's show with some good news for fans of Curious Minnesota. A little background. It's been two years since we launched this project. We've written articles answering more than 100 reader questions, and we've produced nearly two dozen episodes of this podcast. It's proven very popular with Star Tribune readers. So we wanted to do even more of this work of bringing you, the readers and listeners of the Star Tribune, into our coverage. That's why I I'm moving into a new role that will allow me to dedicate more time to projects like this and work with my Star Tribune colleagues to infuse the philosophy of Curious Minnesota into other reporting that we do. You can help us by keeping those questions coming at startribune.com curious or emailing me at curious at startribune.com. And if you have curious friends, tell them to take a spin through our podcast archives. Speaking of those archives, today's show is kind of like part two of our January 2020 episode on the Stone Arch Bridge. So if you haven't heard that episode, give it a listen. We discussed how the bridge brought trains into James J. Hill's new depot along the river. That train station was replaced in 1914 with the Great Northern Depot, which became a major landmark in the city. Reader Marcus Nielsen wanted to know why did the city demolish the Great Northern Depot in 1978? Today we're going to delve into that question as well as the 20th century decline of rail travel in the Twin Cities with rail historian Aaron Isaacs. But first, let's hear from Marcus Nielsen. I did a study abroad in England about 20 years ago, and I'm a native of Minnesota. I went to the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. During my study abroad, I got to travel around Europe a little bit, and obviously they have an amazing public transportation system. Most of their cities are based around their train station. I just kind of looked into the history of Minneapolis and saw how much based it was around the railroad. I knew the Milwaukee Depot was still there, but I always kind of wondered why Minneapolis didn't really keep a lot of their train infrastructure. Well, Aaron, thanks so much for joining us today. So let's start chronologically here. The Great Northern Depot that we're talking about today was actually sort of the second iteration of the depot on that site. Originally, there was the James J. Hill original depot. By the early 1900s, it sounds like the train system was outgrowing this building, the old building. Yeah, you saw a lot of increase in the system and they thought they needed something new. I think they also wanted something a little bit more modern. Okay, so 1914, the Great Northern Depot opened and there was an ad in the Minneapolis Tribune that called it the humming dynamo of Minneapolis's commerce with the outside world. So it was this brand new thing. And it's basically at the foot of where the Hennepin Avenue Bridge is today. It's now what the Federal Reserve Building is. Tell me a little bit about it. I mean, it had these grand columns outside. I mean, was this sort of a big statement of uh, train travel in, in Minneapolis? Yeah, I mean, uh, big city train stations were designed to be somewhat monumental and give prestige to the railroad. So you had the big columns. There were two large arched entrances, one at the north end of the building and one at the south end of the building. And so when you walked in, most of it was just a great
great big waiting room with uh, ticket booths along the west wall. If you look to, on one end, there was a restaurant. You had offices all around because you had to have people to run the station. And then there were stairways and later escalators that kind of went down in the middle of the waiting room, down to the platforms. And you look at pictures of this site, and it's almost hard to, from a modern perspective, really place yourself because this entire area was basically wiped out with the gateway demolition and, and other demolitions, right? I mean, it was. It looks like just a very different part of downtown that's not familiar today. Right. And of course, you know, the railroads picked up all the prime real estate along the river, not just for the depot, but also for their yards. So these things kind of took up the whole riverbank. Boom Island right across the river was the yard and engine facility for the Chicago Great Western. Right. So on the one hand, as a passenger coming into the Great Northern Depot, you would be coming over the Stone Arch Bridge and it would be sort of this grand vista. On the other hand, the riverfront as we know it today is mostly train tracks, right? Well, train tracks and industry, yeah. Basically, it becomes a very busy hub. So let's let's fast forward to peak operations, which would have been in the 1920s, right? How many trains were coming through there? Yeah, right after World War One was the peak, about 1920, 21. And uh, there were about uh, 50 trains a day coming into the Great Northern Depot, another 25 coming into the Milwaukee Road Depot. Okay. And so was it sort of seen as the more prominent of the two depots then, given that it was having more trains every day? Uh, it was bigger. And so certainly this was where celebrities and dignitaries, in addition to a lot of regular people, would arrive in Minneapolis, right? Well, yeah, that's how you got here. Nobody was driving in in 1920 from New York City. And you've talked a little bit about how business travel was just very different back then. Because of the speed, business people traveled overnight. It's if you were within 500 miles of wherever you wanted to be, and from the Twin Cities, that would be, you know, Omaha, Kansas City, Chicago, Duluth, the Dakotas, there was an overnight train or actually usually multiple overnight trains to serve you. And so what you typically did if you were a business person and you needed to go to another city is, oh, in the evening sometime, 8, 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, uh, you would go down to the depot, get on the train, you'd be in a Pullman sleeping car, you'd sleep overnight, you'd wake up at 7 or uh, 8, you'd arrive in the the other city and you'd have the entire day and you'd spend the day doing your business and then you take the sleeper on the way back. For a lot of people, this was their first glimpse of Minneapolis. So when you walked out of the depot, what would that scene look like? What would be some landmarks you would immediately notice? Well, straight across the street, of course, starting in the 1920s or 30s, whenever they built it was the main post office. And of course, the post office was there because the mail traveled on the, on the rails. And so you had to put the two close together. And then if you look to your right, you would see Bridge Square which was where Nicollet Avenue, before it was the Nicollet Mall, came together at First Street with Hennepin Avenue. There was, you know, the Gateway Park was there, and then right beyond that was the Nicollet Hotel. Now, of course, in later Where you years, might be going if you were coming into town, right? Right, because you were, you were headed probably into downtown Minneapolis if you were a business traveler. Otherwise, you would catch a streetcar or a taxi cab right out in front. So before we talk about the decline of passenger rail travel and what happened to the depots, I want to take a little detour to northeast Minneapolis, where an artist has actually brought the columns from the Great Northern Depot back to Minneapolis from Delano, and they're out there for the public to see. So let's just hear a little bit about those columns. I am Zoran Moisilov, born in Yugoslavia in 1955. This is my outdoor studio, you know. It's uh, my ongoing project. Zoran has created a sculpture garden near the former Grain Belt Brewery in northeast Minneapolis. The area is peppered with both the remnants of the famous Metropolitan Building as 
as well as giant columns from the Great Northern Depot, which had been at a granite manufacturing site in Delano for several decades until Zorin brought them here to make sculptures. I don't know the history of the train station and who came and who left from this place, but the stones are talking to me and they're telling me who was there and what, and especially the people who carved those stones. I can see we coming from the similar place, you know, Europe or something. This is the first uh, row, you know, and this this what laying down, they're gonna go on the top and it's gonna be two, three rows. So it should be like 30, 40 feet tall, you know. And how do you shape them? What tools do you use? Uh, I use diamond blades and uh, then I burn all this. I burn with a torch, with a with a wood burner, and it's you can see how it flakes mm. all this comes off. They're five feet diameter and they're about ten feet tall. And the two of them would make one column in the old train station. This would never happen in Europe. People would never discard art in general, you know. And uh, even if they are not that greatly educated, they respect art as something special, you know. You mean as far as tearing down the building to begin with? Yeah, that same, yeah. All right, so Aaron, obviously it hit its peak in the 20s. Then what happened? Give us a little trajectory of train travel after the peak. I think what a lot of people don't realize is that automobile ownership increased to the point in the early 1920s that it really cut into short distance rail travel. And uh, there were still a few suburban commuter trains, kind of the nor- like the North Star that we have today. Automobiles eliminated that. They cut into the ridership of the streetcar system. And then, of course, paved roads became universal in the 1920s and 30s. And buses started running on the paved roads, which competed with the trains. And then uh, starting in the early 1930s, you began to see air travel, which wasn't a very big deal until after World War II. The real death knell for for passenger trains was started in the late 1950s. Two things. First, the interstate highway system began to be built, and second, the jet airplane was created. And that really dropped the bottom out of train travel. Okay. And there was a brief little spike during World War II, right? Yeah, uh, because in World War II, you had uh, gas rationing and tire rationing, plus you couldn't buy a new automobile. And for that reason, uh, ridership in World War II increased back to 1920 levels, but only for the duration of the war. Okay. And then let's fast forward to 1971 is an important year. So what were the factors that led up to the creation of Amtrak, which really had a fundamental effect on the depots here in the Twin Cities? Well, the railroad industry was really struggling in the 1960s. And that's because not only did the the interstate highways and jet airplanes take their passenger traffic, but the interstate highways also had a huge negative impact on their freight traffic. And uh, they were running these pasture trains and incurring huge deficits. They had to get approval from the Interstate Commerce Commission to get rid of the trains, which the Interstate Commerce Commission did, but did reluctantly. And as a result, they were having to subsidize them long after the ridership had gone away. And so finally, they made a deal with the federal government that Amtrak would be created and would take over a much smaller passenger rail system, which would get the railroads out from under their passenger losses. And in exchange, Amtrak would have access to run their trains on the freight railroads, generally at, at a pretty bargain price. And so Amtrak appeared in, I believe it was August 1971, and literally overnight, the number of passenger trains in the country dropped about two-thirds. 
Wow. And so we haven't talked about this, but St. Paul's Union Depot was actually the busiest of all three of the depots we're talking about. So that became somewhat obsolete as a train depot overnight, in addition to the Milwaukee Road Depot, right? Because there was still a train for a little while going to Great Northern, the Amtrak train. Right. Well, Amtrak knew they only needed one station for the Twin Cities. They definitely didn't want the Milwaukee Road Depot. The St. Paul Union Depot, if you think the Milwaukee Road Depot was big and expensive to run, you should see the St. Paul Union Depot. It's twice as big. And so they closed both immediately when Amtrak took over. They used the Great Northern Depot for a few years until they could build their own much smaller, inexpensive depot in the St. Paul Midway, which was also better located for, to serve the metro area. And then let's fast forward another couple of years. So in 1978, the Milwaukee Road Depot is put on the National Register of Historic Places, which was still sort of a newish concept at that point. But it, it had attracted preservation advocates like Barbara Flanagan in, in the pages of the Minneapolis Star and, and things like that. And that same year, the Great Northern Depot is demolished. The, the Milwaukee Road Depot is older, and perhaps that played a role, but these two depots met very different fates. What do you think contributed to the diverging fates of these two buildings? Well, first, I think the Milwaukee Depot was viewed as more, more historic and kind of a more charismatic building. It's more ornate, and it has the train shed, which is a rather iconic thing and a rather rare thing these days. The Great Northern Depot, although it was monumental, was really kind of plain inside, and I don't think it had the charisma that the Milwaukee Road Depot had. Okay. And also the Milwaukee Road Depot was smaller, right? Or was it more manageable size? Oh, definitely smaller. Yes. And so in the Great Northern, they didn't have a shed. You would go down to platforms, right? That were below the depot area. Right. You go down to the platforms. Each platform had what they called an umbrella shed over it. So you were protected from the weather, but it wasn't one great big shed that covered all the tracks simultaneously. Okay. And the location of that and those tracks must have also played a role, right? I mean, riverfront redevelopment was on the minds of a lot of city planners, and this was in a pretty prime territory. Oh, sure. I mean, the park board wanted access to as much of the land as possible, and they got it. And in addition, uh, the Burlington Northern Railroad, which owned the Stone Arch Bridge, really didn't want two crossings of the river. They had their freight crossing that went across Nicollet Island. The Stone Arch Bridge was really just for passenger trains, and it had 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 some structural problems in the 1960s and 70s. And so Burlington Northern wanted out from under it. And there is a happy story here, which is that the Milwaukee Road Depot was, after many years of vacancy, it was reused into an event space and hotel, right? Correct. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. This is some great history. And I just think it's such a fascinating story about two depots in Minneapolis, two train hubs, both sort of iconic places in their time that just met very different fates. Happy to be part of it. Listeners, if you want to see some images of the depot, I'll include a link to my story in the show notes, which features a very interesting photo gallery. And if you have a question you'd like us to answer, you can send them to me directly at curious at startribune.com. And if you like the podcast, be sure to spread the word. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.